if you can get docs involved as early in the process as possible so that you can hit the ground running and start documenting features mentally in your own mind as soon as developers actually also start developing on it, then you're going to be in a much, much better place than if you just get your doc input after everything is done. Um, Because in those situations, those are the ones that are detrimental, right? Because that's when, first of all, the doc input might not be very good. It might not actually cover all of the things you need to know for the feature because there's a lot of implicit knowledge and tribal knowledge that goes lost under development if it's not written down. Welcome to the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast, where Gowri Ram Kumar of Document 360 finds the best SaaS self-service knowledge bases in the world, and then interviews their creators. Let's get started with today's episode. Good day, everyone. Our guest today is Kat Stoika Ostenfeld, technical writer at SiteGore. Welcome, Kat to the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast. How are you thank doing you. today? Um, thank you. I'm, I'm doing quite all right today. Uh, a bit tired, but I hope that that doesn't affect our recording too much. <laughs> Definitely not, because you've got amazing experience to share with us today. So let's just start with a quick introduction about yourself, a little bit more uh, to know. And uh, how did you initially get into documentation, Kat? Yeah, so I always hate the question or like the um, talk about yourself thing because I never really know where to start like how, how far back do we go mm-hmm. uh, but I can uh, I can let you and the audience know that I'm uh, Copenhagen based in Denmark I was born and raised in Denmark um, I'm from a bilingual home because uh, my mum was Danish and my dad is Romanian and that actually plays uh, into how I got into documentation because I am a linguist. I have a master's degree in um, English and corporate communication, uh, which in Danish has a title that is in Latin, uh, which is Ketlingmac, uh, which means a master's degree in mercantile linguistics. Um, and I used that master's degree to become a translator. Uh, so uh, once I was done, I moved to the UK and worked for a translation agency that specialized in hardware and software translation as well as linguistic quality assurance. Um, And a lot of that was very fun, especially the bit where I was uh, able to use my my gaming um, hobby to uh, my advantage at work and be a games tester and and so on. Um, But a lot of it was also very frustrating, especially when I got two months worth of translation of release notes for a major company um, about a month after the thing was released. And I realized they had never been past a words person. It was it was just directly from the developers. Um, and through that job, I heard the title technical writer when one of my translator colleagues left to become a technical writer, but I had no idea what that was. Um, but a few months later, Someone in my network sent me a job posting on LinkedIn and said, I don't know what this is, but it sounds like you. And it was an opening for a technical writer position. And I got that job. I applied to it and said, well, first I say, yes, that does sound like me. Then I applied. Then I got the job. And I've not looked back since. So I kind of stumbled into it. (laughs) 
Super, very nice, uh, Kat. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit more about your educational background. Um, mm-hmm. You did mention you have a bachelor's degree in business communications and a master's in intercultural market studies. Yes. So how have these skills uh, that you gained through education influenced the current career, technical writing career? Well, there's in several different ways, right? Because part of um, it, it was both my bachelor's and my master's, it was a continuation of the same program. In my um, bachelor's, I minored in European studies. And then in uh, my uh, master's, I minored in intercultural market communication. But the major in both of them was the English, like corporate linguistics part. Um, and that had some real tacit um not not tacit, really tangible um, practical elements to it with uh, knowledge dissemination. Um, There was something, there was a a class called something as as vibrant as uh, interlingual knowledge transferal, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is basically how do you take something from one language and translate it, not so that the uh, words still mean the same as they did in the first language, but so that the person reading it in the second language is able to actually uh, obtain the knowledge necessary. Um, that is that is a, a, a real tangible skill that translators are actually taught. Um, so I don't know what that is if not technical writing, <laughs> um, because that is what we all have to do whenever we get documentation input about what does the feature do and we translate it into how do you use the feature to um uh to do the task that you want to perform like those are two different languages right um so that was part of it and then because i had that very particular combination of first european studies which was a very, I don't want to say soft because that undermines it, but it was very focused on cultural aspects and history aspects and acknowledging the fact that there are so many different cognitions and connotations and so on available, or not available, but present on the European continent. And then majoring into or or like segueing into intercultural market studies, uh, being able to grasp how that functions in multinational organizations Um, and affects how people work together and so on, because you can just extrapolate from the European continent onto the world. Um, That has actually really helped me go even further. And in the time I've been a technical writer, I've realized that those same uh, clusters that you can have among different cultures, you have among different disciplines as well. So it actually plays a part doubly in the kind of businesses that we function in as technical writers, because you have both native culture present, but you also have disciplinary culture present. Like marketing is a different disciplinary culture than R&D is, which is a different disciplinary culture than sales is. And if we go deep into it, R&D contains developers, which contains front-enders and back-enders and so on, and everyone thinks in different ways. Um, So I want to say that to shorten my already really long answer (laughs) to your question, um, uh, my education has given me both uh, actual concrete writing skills, but also this ability to zoom out of any conversation that I am in and observe it from a more theoretical uh, perspective. Nice. I mean, um, it's amazing to see um, how different courses and uh, different educational background does have a certain amount of contribution to the writing community. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And uh, just to come back to your uh, career, uh, so you mm-hmm. worked for around four years in technical writing? Uh, yeah. Great. So just talk a little bit about your uh, working relationships uh, with developer, managers, technical leads, PMs, and any other uh, professions you've come across during this uh, period <laughs> just talk a bit about this huge part of your career <laughs> um yeah so i mean i've worked in for about four years in four different companies um across i think the last time i counted it came to around 20 development teams in total and i've had so many different setups um like i've been you know on the ground uh, technical writer in the same office as two of my teams but then also had to to deal with one team where that was remote to where I was from but they were all sat physically together so I was like this external point of frustration that kept telling them to do things that they didn't want to do um, I've been hired directly into a development team at one point uh, under the the engineering lead of the team who decided to spend headcount on a technical writer instead of getting more developers um, because they wanted to uh, have a full stack team and wanted every single um, discipline present in the team and and uh, working alongside each other on par with each other. That uh, is still one of my favorite setups that I've ever experienced. Um, and then I've also been an, um, a mix of uh, an on-the-ground writer hired into kind of whip a semi-non-existent documentation suite into shape, but then also realizing that a lot of things were in flux in the company at the time uh, because of uh, acquisitions. Um, And so I, for the briefest of moments, uh, had the title head of documentation, but without having an actual documentation team under me at the time, um, which was interesting because I was doing both on the ground stuff with my development team, trying to just do docs for the next release, while also trying to strategize for the product, while also trying to strategize for several other products within the same company at the same time. And now I'm in a, I want to say, very comfortable situation where I have my two development teams um, uh, that I've been working with, which is is, is just enough to to always keep me more than busy, Um, but not so much that I continuously feel like I can never keep up. Um, um, Yeah. That doesn't talk to you about any of the uh, relationships I've had, but I'm thinking maybe you can uh, ask me to zoom in on on something that you found relevant there. (laughs) Sure. Okay, let me ask you in a slightly different way. So how long into your career did it take you to nail down your own style and working process? I want to say four months. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Not not long at all. Not long at all. I think I have a steel core inside of me. Like I, I come off as a as, as a very bubbly person because I am a very bubbly person. Um, uh, I am also um, kind. I, I try to always operate with with kindness first and candor first. Um, but I also have a steel core, uh, which um, in my my resume that I continuously keep uh, up to date. Uh, I have a sentence saying I work uh, under the uh, motto, do your job so I can do mine. And I expect my colleagues to keep me to the same standard. 
And uh, I think it's in my first technical writing um, job, I, I entered very as a junior. Um, uh, like they knew I hadn't done technical writing before. They knew I could write because of, of you know, my resume showed that I could. Uh, and they knew I had experience with the software industry due to having worked for the software industry as a translator. Um, but but it was very a part of that position that it was a learning position. And so the, the person who was my senior at the time um, told me what was expected and told me how they did their job and then also told me what struggles they had with developers. Um, I don't mean to say that developers always cause issues because they don't, but I think it's a very universal thing for all technical writers that we can experience a fictitious relationship um, because documentation is, is eternally an afterthought. And I have found that out with my 20 different development teams that that is just like a structural issue. It's usually not because of the actual people involved having uh, malicious intent. It's it's simply a matter of those. That's just the way the the dice are rolled in the tech industry. Um, but as soon as I was I was made aware of this by by my senior at the time, this uh, steel core inside of me kind of kicked in and went well. If if it's my job to make sure that docs is part of product, then I need these and these and these and these things in order to um, to make that happen. And so I started championing the inclusion of docs in feature scoping and being allowed to participate in meetings and so on. Before I'd been in the company for six months, I started saying, this is what I need in order to be successful. And it didn't happen in the first place. Um, so I moved on to the second place and it very did happen. <laughs> um, um, but then I, I, I left because of, of other reasons. Um, and then that's what I've kept championing since. Um, so, so that's just what I've been fine-tuning. And, and where I am right now is, is this gorgeous situation where I've just been able to interview a possible future colleague recently and show them how docs are scoped with my feature team and how I have invitations to the different meetings and so on and like to, to show someone else that it works um, which is very nice. Nice so just following that question uh, so do you have any tips for people who are looking to make their technical writing uh, especially the time management skills more efficient? Any tips? Maybe one or two? Mm. So the issue is that the tip I'm going to give is a tip that people have probably heard many times and it's easy to say but hard to do. But if you can get docs involved as early in the process as possible um, so that you can hit the ground running and, and start documenting features mentally in your own mind um, as soon as developers actually also start developing on it, um, then you're going to be in a much, much better place than uh, if you just get your doc input after everything is done. Um, because in those situations, those are the ones that are detrimental, right? Because that's when, first of all, the doc input not, might not be very good. It might not actually cover all of the things you need to know for the feature because there's a lot of implicit knowledge and tribal knowledge that goes lost under development if it's not written down. 
Um, there's a lot of, of reasoning as to why the feature even exists that you don't get by the time you just get the very granular input about a flag ha having been flipped somewhere in the code. Um, and also, if you're if you're extra unlucky, uh, UI labels and warning messages have been written uh, with no writer, UX writer, technical writer, documentarian, or whatever being involved, and you notice it in the demo, and then you have to go through this fictitious um, uh, cycle of having to to try and get that redeemed, and then you become like an obstacle in the development process. So that's what we want to avoid. And so the overall tip that I gave was be included as early as possible. And then any writer who's been a writer for a year or so will sit there and go, great, but how do I do that? Um, and to that point, I think some of the things that have worked for me personally um, is uh, reaching above and beyond just the developers because development leads, lead engineers and so on um, run a tight schedule and they're usually... Uh, they're usually pressured by a burn-down chart or a, a sprint overview or a, a production incremental, whichever terminology is, is dominant in your company. Um, so they don't necessarily have a lot of time and they don't necessarily understand why you need what you need because they don't know what they don't know. Um, so I have had a lot of success with going straight to the head of engineering, straight to the head of product, usually to the head of product, because the head of product or head of product management will understand product as an overall, uh, whereas a head of engineering will be very focused on how to make their engineers successful, which also uh, includes protecting them against annoying technical writers that want them to spend their time on not coding. Um, so going to, to, to a head of product, product management, and then also presenting um, a rough guesstimate overview of how documentation actually improves uh, go-to-market, how it actually improves customer satisfaction. Um, in my last job, I, I wrote out just based on rough estimates on, on salaries and so on, and, and, and a few uh, rough um, estimates given to me by support on how much time they spent on trying to answer different things or mm -hmm. just me sat literally sat in the R&D department and observing whenever someone from support or customer success or consultant had to walk over to an engineer or an engineering lead and ask them a question and the amount of time that they spent chasing down the answer to that question and noting down every single time where I knew that if they, they had had access to documentation that was correct, up to date, easily accessible, they could have solved that in minutes. And then just extrapolating that up and saying, if that happens this many times a week, that means it happens this many times a month, a month. This means that means it happens this many times a year. That means that I can save the company this amount of money just from internal usage. Let it, like let's not even talk about customers and so on. Like let's just talk about the amount of time spent internally trying to figure out our product. I can save us this much time, this much money if you help me install this procedure, uh, and that usually helps. Mm -hmm. Nice. So we talked a lot about uh, the tips and how people can make the most out of uh, the team. Mm -hmm. um, let's just talk about some of the important factors you will be considering while creating documentation? 
Mm. I usually cycle to some really, really basic questions. Um, I find it really important to always ask, why should I care? Um, because quite often when you're given documentation input, you're told, like I said before, what the thing does. Um, but I think one of the most important things to ask your subject matter expert or your product manager or whoever is why should I care about this? Not in an adversarial manner, not in a in a sense that makes, you know, <laughs> makes it sound like I hate their product or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in a sense that that means uh, tell me why I should get excited about this. Tell me who I am, like who have you developed this for and what problem are you solving? Tell me why I should care about this. And that's actually my favorite part because that's usually when you get someone who's already at that point tired and they've worked on this for a while and they might be a little bit disengaged and disinvested. Uh, That's when you get them to relight back up and rekindle their their inspiration for that particular feature and say, well, this is actually really cool because of so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. And that's when I start taking notes frantically by hand um, uh, and just like jotting things down left, right and centre because that's where they're telling me all of that knowledge. Um, That's more than just information. It's more than just a data sheet, but it's the actual like reason for existence for the feature. Um, And it's not emotive marketing floof. It's not like this is why you should get excited, but it's this is the problem that it's solving. I find it really important to get that information because that means that when I put myself in the mindset of the different kinds of users that might be using this, the different kinds of problems that might occur, I have that extra bit of knowledge that I can sprinkle in among the instructions. I can put in a note saying you need to do it in this order because otherwise the thing does this, or I can. Uh, go into somewhere else and go, by the way, we now have a a complementary feature over here or so on. Again, that enables me to not just document in the sense of it was written down somewhere, but it it enables me to actually add to our information architecture based on knowing what the users might need. All right. Nice. So just cautious of time, uh, Kat. Uh, Should we move on to the rapid fire round questions, if you don't Um, mind? Yeah. Super. So who have you learned the most about documentation in your career? Who have I learned the most about documentation from in my career? That's a a really good question. Um, I think, first of all, there's there's an international global community of technical writers and documentarians out there. Um, I'm particularly uh, fond of the Write the Docs community, Um, but they're not necessarily the ones I've learned the most from. They're the ones I feel the most validated and supported from. I learn a lot, um, but I want to say the one where I got the most knowledge about what would be useful for documentation was a time where when I worked at Unity, um, one of our product managers gave me the name of someone in the Unity community, like the user community, who was a very strong advocate and always mentioned docs in the forums and so on. And I reached out to this person and said, I'm documenting something that everyone knows is in the pipeline because it, it is publicly available, but um, I need to break away from some of the, the the initial way of documenting it. Can can you can I send you stuff? Can I send you stuff and 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 you as someone that knows this can can let me know? And I had this this privately iterative process with this person, 
um, which was incredibly helpful to me because it meant I had access to someone that actually used docs and was willing to see it from a new picture, like from from a new angle, because it was it was a feature that they they'd not had in their hands because it wasn't publicly available, although it was the Unity productions um, a bit weird in that way. Um, uh, so everything was above board. I, I like I want to uh, just be very clear that I didn't break any NDA on this. Um, <laughs> um, but but that made me learn so rapidly about not making assumptions, but actually checking with your audience whether or not you're solving the problem for them that they need solved or you're just assuming that you are. Okay, great. So any documentation related resource you can uh, you have consumed recently that you'd like to name? Mm, actually, I want to say the Write the Talks uh, Prague conference is a documentation resource that I consumed. Uh, and I don't know if it's... Uh, Faux part to mention uh, like competing uh, resources on on this podcast, but I, I I can't mention a particular book or other podcast, but I can say uh, participating in in some of the global communities. Uh, if write the docs is not your thing, you can go for TechOm, you can go for the Macup Fair user group if if you're into Macup Fair. Um, is definitely something that I would recommend, especially because a lot of technical writers have a tendency to be lone warriors. Um, it's it's I'm in a I'm in a team with 20 people right now, which is completely uncommon in the industry, and and I'm so thankful. Um, but I have been a lone warrior before, and it it gets it's hard. So and even being surrounded by 19 other people, you can still sometimes need that external validation from other people in the in the industry. So I would definitely recommend that you. Um, you look some of those up and actively participate because one, you would be welcome immediately and two, it's incredibly validating. Thank you, Kate. My last question is, what, what is that one piece of documentation related advice you would like to give to your 20-year-old self? Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to ask this question and I um, I don't have a good answer, but what immediately came to mind is actually something that my 26, 27-year-old self did continuously tell myself when I was a translator, and I think it um, it, it matters in documentation as well. Which is as long as um, as long as as long as it's not like really important medicinal equipment or flight instructions for an airplane, it's probably going to be fine if it has a few mistakes. So if it's probably going to be fine that it has a few mistakes, don't like perfect get in the way of done. Just uh, like try and get it out there and then improve continuously. Super. So as you mentioned at the beginning of the call, um, Kat, that uh, you're not going to uh, disappoint us because you've got a vast amount of experience in this uh, writing um, field and definitely your detailed answers to some, a lot of my questions has opened up uh, a lot of thoughts in the community and with our audiences today. Um, any Anything that you'd like to add that I must to address? Uh, as, as, as questions, uh, Kat? Mm, no, no, I think we're good. I, uh, I look forward to hearing this. <laughs> okay, super. 
So thank you once again for participating in this podcast series. And uh, uh, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm sure it's a great listening to our audience. And uh, once again, good luck with all the projects and future engagements. And we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much. <laughs> Fantastic. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast. Please head to iTunes, rate, and provide honest feedback on the podcast. See you next week. <laughs>